wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 336 with our boy of summer, Scott Thompson. You may know him as one of the iconic members of the fantastic Kids in the Hall. Uh, Before we get into this episode, I just actually do want to give you a content warning. Um, Max Fun and I uh, and all of us, of course, know that mass shootings continue to cause untold trauma and heartache in the U.S., and by the way, worldwide. Um, We recorded this episode before the recent events in Dayton and El Paso, uh, and around the 23 minutes and 40 seconds mark, Scott starts talking about his personal experience surviving a school shooting. Um, It's an extraordinary story. He talks candidly about his experience and how he continues to process it, including the fact that he's recently started talking about it in a stand-up and in a screenplay that he just finished. But because of that, the interview contains some, I admit, very dark humor. Uh, That's one way of whistling in the dark, as it were. And uh, again, you know I'm extraordinarily emotional if you listen to this podcast and very empathetic. So uh, I, I... do not take that lightly, but this may be difficult for some people to hear. Uh, it may be harder to listen to in light of recent events. Um, I just think it's really important to have this kind of open discussion and for folks to hear uh, Scott's adult perspective about what it's been like to go through life with this trauma. That said, I love you guys. If you want to sit this one out, because hearing this kind of discussion is going to do you more harm than good, we absolutely understand and support that. If you want to skip this part of the conversation, um, again, you can look for about 23, uh, 30-ish seconds and head to about 37 minutes. Okay, guys, enjoy. I'm going to get into this. I'm going to get into this. So you, there's a, okay, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm going to play this game with you at the end and I don't know if you have any idea what it is or how it works, but I'll, I'm going to control it and keep you This is good. I feel much, much clearer now. We just had a nice catch up. We had a catch up. A very quick catch up. Mm -hmm. Just uh, State of the Union. Cleared the air. As it work. A little bit. A little air clearing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me make sure, I'm not even like, I just, I was so excited to see you. I didn't even do my job and make sure our levels are good. I'll tell you what, they are good. I'd say like if I, if I had like a car and I, my oil needed to be changed. And that's what we did. Real quick. We looked lube inside. Job. We did a quick lube job. Yeah. There was some very old oil uh, there. In there was a, a little bit of a smell and a sound that we couldn't identify. So we drained it. Now you're purring like a kitten. <laughs> yes. Purring like a kitten. <laughs> yes, I am. I say this as a person who is ready, willing, and able to make car metaphors all day long, and yet I have zero strong feelings about cars in me general. Me too. Uh, yeah. To me, there are blue cars, red cars, two doors and yeah. four doors, right? <laughs> Convertibles and yeah. hatchbacks. Yeah. Listen, that right there, that's impressive. I don't even know. I, I actually, I was going to call them a hard a hard top. Uh-huh. Are they called hard tops? Which one? The non-hatchbacks? No, non-convertibles oh, or non-convertibles. hard tops. That makes sense. And what's a hatchback? Hatchback is, uh, your, it's sort of instead of a traditional trunk, you open it up and it sort of oh, swings out like a DeLorean right. door, but in the back. Yeah. I do have a hatchback. Oh, you have a hatchback. I do. Did you grow up with the, um, uh, what do they call them? The, um, what are the long ones called? Uh, station wagon. Station wagon. I didn't. I did. um, you did grow up mm-hmm. with a station wagon. Mm-hmm. Was it uh, like the most with panel? Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Wagon. The most cliche. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't that look like wood? With five boys. 
Well, there you go. And then when my father, what were they supposed to do? And then my father, when he after the last kid, my mom's fifth kid, my dad was about forty-two. I guess he had a uh, one of the like a middle midlife crisis. Oh, no. He sold no. He sold it and he showed up with a green Mustang. No, he didn't. My mother was furious. Did he have any sense at all? The cliche he was living out. Um, he, he had a comb over and a Mustang. <laughs> Yeah, and then he started wearing he, cowboy boots. Oh my god! I think everything but a mistress, because I, I really don't think that. But right. I remember my mother was furious. I remember when he showed up with that Mustang, we were so <laughs> thrilled. I mean, it didn't last long. And did I mean, she make him get rid of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it didn't last long. And the next thing you know, we had a we had a station wagon again. <laughs> but I imagine Wait, how old was he? 42 see that's what is so crazy is that yeah. you know being now now being the age that parents are when yeah. they have midlife crises that we as children see yeah that's startling and very scary it me. is because i don't think a 42 is old anymore now that no, i'm no, well no, past no. 42 not at all. and by that time my father and mother had they had five children Ay, that's so crazy when did they start when did they, they started um uh, uh, having babies yeah uh, i guess she'd be 24 oh Pretty traditional. How far apart are you guys in age? Well, the oldest it goes from um, I guess quite a quite a spread. Um, the oldest, let me see, fifteen years. Okay. I guess she had kids for fifteen years. Ooh. Her last kid was forty. So sixteen years. Was that was that more? Was it? <laughs> I'm trying to think of how often like five kids is purely a choice and not like we don't practice birth control. Oh, but it was it, a choice. I, like, I think it's time. You know what? Let's try for a fifth. Well, I think the fifth one, I mean, was a mistake or we, we don't really know. It's either a mistake or my mom did it on purpose. Oh, okay. You know, now, you know, my dad, they're old and my mom's got Alzheimer's so I can say these things about her now and she's not going to correct me but there's a part of me that thinks that she just stopped taking the pill because she wanted another baby and do you think that that was she was the kind of person who felt most comfortable identifying as a mom and so oddly enough no wow no that's the interesting thing I think if my mother was a woman today she'd have gone the career route yeah and she would she but I think she was when she when she started having babies she's very competitive (laughs) she wanted to be a real competitive mother right so she wanted to have the most (laughs) and she wanted and she kind of there was a part of her that really took perverse pleasure in them all being boys Wow, and um, and I think she saw. So she did see it as a career, <laughs> but she did. She would say to us quite often, I like, thought it is a career. Five, it is, raising five oh, it is a career. And my mom would say yet. very. She would say, you know what? If I had it do over, I wouldn't have had it all you buggers, <laughs> buggers, <laughs> buggers is what you, you little buggers. <laughs> and she'd tell us that, like, oh God, I wouldn't. I would have stopped it. I wouldn't. I don't even know if I had any kids. Yeah, she'd have been a career woman. But she, you know, but she did her best. But the last one was at 40, and I think she was trying for a, one last chance for a girl. Mm-hmm. She really wanted a girl. She never grew up with girls. She was um, a twin, so she had a female, like a, her female twin, identical, mm-hmm. and a mother, no father. So that's all she knew. Yeah. And then next thing you know, she, but she loved men because she was raised by her extended family, mm. cousins and uncles and all that sort of thing. So she was always around boys yeah she loved men but she but she didn't understand them really in a way i mean she understood them in a way that a uh, a super flirtatious woman does like she, <laughs> mom, very flirtatious love she knows she uh, knew, definitely knew that. how to play men yeah 
Yeah. Even her own, even her own children. Totally. And and yeah. then I remember when my mom started when the when she started getting demented, she was just you know very. My mom was a very waspy woman, very correct, very proper. Um, but we always knew that she had she loved sex. I mean, sometimes she would just say, like one time when I was like sixteen or seventeen, you know, we're at the table. She's writing thank you notes, which is her profession. And she did a lot of that, folding laundry and writing thank you uh-huh. notes. And she just looked up from the laund- from a note and went, you know, I've always liked sex. And then went back to it. And I went, okay. And she goes, and then she go, I've never had, your father and I have never had a problem in that, in that department. And back, back to, thank you, Mrs. Mullineau, for that lovely casserole you brought. So things like that. And then once the dementia happened, I guess all those breaks um, failed. Mm. Oh and, yeah, so she was just speaking her mind left and right. Say things like one the time I remember very clearly. I guess a few years ago, at, like at Christmas dinner, and she just went, "Oh, I always loved it when they would bring the bull in to impregnate the cows." And I'd be oh. like, "What?" She goes, oh, my sister, she didn't like it, but every time they go, Barbara. They called me Bob then. That was her nickname, Bob. Bob, the bull is here. And she'd race out to the barn oh so that she and the hired hands would let her watch the cows being impregnated. Because oh they would they rent the bulls, right? Yeah. And they'd take them from farm to farm. Mm-hmm. And they would have a big stud. And she could not get enough of that That stuff. is so crazy. Yeah. So who knows what went on? But she would just say things, oh, I love the hired hands. And you're like, oh, God, what was going on? Yeah. They're but you don't have it there. You don't have, wonder if your mom ever like cheated, played around. Yeah, a f- I do wonder. Yeah. Yes, um, I think if there was one of them that had an affair, it would have been her. Yeah, yeah. He I had f- an affair with his cowboy boots. That's about it. Yeah, I honestly don't. I don't think my father did. I mean, sometimes I think about asking him because we could do that now. Yeah, and I would have probably asked my my mother before she slipped into the real darkness. And then, but my father did something very stupid. I was very angry at him. He got rid of all of her love letters and all of her correspondence, which I really wanted to go through. Yeah. Did and he? Just, do you, why do you, did he tell you why? No, he, he just said it wasn't for you. It's not. But, but yeah. I'm the gay son. I want. I wouldn't judge her the same way my my straight brothers would. Right. 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 Um, I think they. I think if there was anything like that, I wouldn't. That would have really upset them. Mm-hmm. But I never had a problem seeing my mother sexually mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right i don't i think straight boys have a real problem seeing mm-hmm. their mothers that that's way that's interesting to be honest i never thought about that i never thought about how your image of a mother or father could be altered by your sexuality yeah. but that makes sense like i me. had no i had nothing invested in her being uh, like 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 a saint right 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 or a virgin yeah yeah i wouldn't have cared if she had been a, like yeah, a whore would before f- she got married what freud wouldn't have known what to do with no. like having a real conversation with someone who didn't actually in his mind quote unquote want to sleep like with you his couldn't mother. shame me by saying your mom's a slut like yeah. well maybe she was <laughs> i didn't fall far from the tree yeah so no i would not have had any even, I, I don't think i had problems with my fault i i tell you though i would probably have a difficult time if I discovered that my father had had sex with men. Yeah. That would have... That would yeah. really throw me. Yeah. Because I'd be like, what? You what? Would it kind you of go against... That? Yeah, I was going to say. It would that... make some, of it, some things would make sense. Mm. Some things would make sense. Like My oldest brother is convinced that my father is something like these bisexual. Do you fall second oldest. Okay, okay. I don't. I think he just does it to bug me. 
It's funny because he's straight. He bugs me, the gay son, about it. Because I guess for me, I'd have to go through, all, I'd have to look at my own childhood and go, oh my God, then why would he, why did he treat me so badly? And then mm-hmm. I go, oh, that's why he treated me so badly. Then I'd have to, and I've already forgiven him, but now I'd have to, it, it, it maybe it would help me mm-hmm. if there was something to it, you yeah. know? I don't know. I don't believe it. So as of now, he, if he treated you, did you, he treated you poorly in comparison yes. with your straight brothers? He treated us all terribly. Oh, okay. But he really was hard on me. Yeah. Yeah, he was hard on me. So if, if, if it turned out that there was some sort of self-loathing going on, although it's arguable that anybody who treats anybody like shit is self-loathing. Well, no. But it would be also, a different kind those, of identity but, crisis But in those times, you didn't have to be a closet case to beat your gay child. I think it was considered quite normal. Right. Well, I think I don't think I don't think like beating was considered normal, but corporal punishment certainly was. Right. And I I certainly don't think I, I think back then, if if a man if someone thought that the man had a gay son, I think society would have definitely looked the other way if that child was being abused because I think society at the time would have thought, well, maybe it'll beat the gay out of them. Yeah. And I have a joke. I just go, well, it didn't. It just made me like it rough. <laughs> but, you know, um, but, you know, right now we're pretty good with my father. I'm pretty good with my dad. This is another thing that, might, that makes my brother think he might be gay. When he turned 90 this year, we asked my dad what he wanted. And he said, well, Cher's in town. <laughs> we're like, yeah, I really want to see Cher. Wonderful. So, oh, you told me this. I, I you told me because she, she, he got to go. I won't and met her. It. Yeah, I, I we and she said, gave him. She, she came in and she kissed him. Yeah, on the mouth. She came out of her dressing room and she oh said, "Where's that handsome man I'm supposed to meet?" And my dad said, "I'm over here." <laughs> he knew exactly who she must mean. She came over. She gave him a kiss on the oh mouth. My God. And she goes, "How you feeling?" And he went, "Much better now." Oh my God! And then she God. kissed him again. That's a pretty great story. It is, and it's actually one of the like, best things. I felt things. kind of ambivalent about Cher until you told me that story, I, and then I was like, I guess I love this crazy lady. She's wonderful. Yeah. They, they treated my dad like such like like a hero. And here's the funny thing about my dad. I mean, he, I honestly look at him and went, no, he just really loves that woman. Yeah. She's not just a gay campy icon. She's a beautiful woman. Right. She's a super talented, gorgeous woman. Right. And to my father back in the 70s, she would have been exotic. Oh, absolutely. You know, half breed. Yeah. <laughs> she really leaned <laughs> right? into it. Armenian. She yeah. did lean into it. Yeah. Long black hair. My yeah. mom was like a freckle faced, you know, redheaded Colleen uh-huh. type. <laughs> so, no, I think he just truly, truly loves her. He has a scrapbook Amazing. with her. And I just think, you know what? I think some men just love Cher. Yeah. Fair enough. And That's true. There shouldn't. They can't be like that. There's right? a, a. You fall into a. Once you become a gay icon, you fall into a pocket of camp. You still and a woman. No straight. Yes. No straight person can be attracted. Exactly. To you. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't work like that. It shouldn't have to. It shouldn't have to at all. Yeah. But um. But that was a. I, and I couldn't go to the. But the sad thing was I was I couldn't go to it, which yeah. was really tragic. I think the la, I think the only thing I could compare it to is the time that Bruce McCullough got to hang out with Liza and I didn't. Mm-hmm. I mean that just that doesn't seem right. No, that doesn't <laughs> seem right. Really, Eddie wasted it. I'm yeah. like, you did he, yeah, yeah. I hung out with Liza all day. You bastard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, Liza. Well, when did you? When did you? 
when were you I like when did your dad know definitively like yes my son is gay versus oh, my I, son is effeminate or whatever I mean what I, which I don't feel well, well no, no but like that doesn't I, I'm not really effeminate I don't, yeah but I, know that I think I read that. gay when right. I'm relaxed yeah um but I tried very hard to be a tough kid so that's why I was always doing everything well they they found out when I told them mm-hmm. yeah I was 23 okay 24 he disowned me they disowned me um and for about six months and then and then i slowly but but up until this still my whole life my parents never ever asked me about Hmm. man or partner ever still never you just make peace with it you're like well don't ask don't tell hmm? but their own little don't ask don't tell policy and they accept it and that's fine but they've never my father they never asked about bringing anyone home or would you like to be with someone never Hmm. to them i think it's actually for them i think it was kind of it was it was i think they were pleased that i never really (laughs) did i did bring some people home um but not in a million years yeah um and it it just wasn't they just really didn't they weren't equipped and but then afterwards they they accepted it they had to i I went on tv and came out so they kind of had to right um but he was but if he was worse with you um when you were younger mm-hmm. do you think that he was sort of anticipating finding out one day or yeah. was it maybe wasn't it or was it just that you were obnoxious in I a was, different way yes than i was obnoxious were, and i was obnoxious like i was the kid that always I, I i fought him all the time and i was very rebellious and i wouldn't i wouldn't you know like i wouldn't take no for an answer if he told me to do something i go why why right why why does society say you have to do that? I don't go along with that. And like, I was lippy. Mm-hmm. Lippy. Mm-hmm. You were lippy. So, lippy. Did they say lippy anymore? But I don't think so, but lippy. Lippy. It, it's, it, we got to bring it back. Lippy. And, um, and I was the most lippy kid. And when my father would beat me, I would continue and I would keep up a running commentary throughout it. Mm. Shaming him. Ugh. Which would drive the beatings and yeah. make them worse. Yeah. I would be like, you sh- really? That's what you do? Good for you. You're going to get an award for being oh father God. of the year. Smack, smack. Oh, oh keep it up, buddy. That's what fathers do. Smack, smack. <sighs> so I would keep it up. Yeah. Is that... <laughs> I don't... Like, there's so much I want to ask about it, yet I don't even know how to put it in context. But Because that seems like such... Um... <laughs> First of all, it makes From another you... time. Well, it, from... From another time mm-hmm. on multiple levels, certainly the idea it that is. he would just yeah continue yeah. to do that and all and all that kind of stuff. But the there's something almost like like a literary figure about that response. Mm-hmm. Like like many of us in that situation would sort of hope that we would be crazy enough or lippy enough or you know self righteous enough, indignant enough, yeah. scared enough, whatever yeah. whatever's driving that. To respond that way, that's how our society thinks of as like a brave person almost. You know what I mean? Like, I know this is going to get me more, but I'm just going to point out that you are a nightmare. Even while you're, oh, are you a big man now? You big man? That's exactly it. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, rather than just cowering and crying and being like, please, daddy, please, daddy, please, daddy. And that's a totally normal response, by the way. That's normal, too. Yeah, to cower in the corner and cry. Yeah. But, um... But that, but that defiance uh, is it. It feels like um, that. That that feels like it, I'm not saying again that it's right or wrong, but that's taking a kind of power. Yeah. That that. Not I think all it defines my whole do. life. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah, yeah. 
like where I just go where where I'm very built <laughs> to be mistrustful hmm. of authority figures. Yeah. And I always know that authority figures will turn. Mm. It's probably not a good thing, but I, I what are you going to do? I don't know. Um, but I'm very defiant. You might be the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. I was very defiant. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. You wept as we crafted the tragic tale of Jar Jar, a Star Wars story. Dude, like he forgives Darth Vader. Lisa <laughs> still love you, Annie. <laughs> you gasped out loud at the shocking twists of Face Off 2. Face is wild. He takes his kid's face. What? <laughs> We're writing an entire screenplay week by week on Story Bricks Season 2, Heaven Heist. Hey folks, Freddie Wong here with some exciting news about Story Break, the writer's room podcast where three Hollywood professionals have one hour to spin cinematic gold. We're shaking up our format by turning Heaven Heist, one of our favorite ideas we've ever come up with on the show, into a full screenplay. Heaven Heist is an action comedy about a crew of misfit gangsters robbing the celestial bank of heaven. Think of Coco meets Point Break. Join us as we write this crazy movie scene by scene and get an inside look at the screenwriting process on our podcast Story Break every Thursday on MaximumFun.org. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Canada. I grew up in um, two places. The first nine years, North Bay, which is a small town in northern Ontario, like idyllic. Yeah. And then, um, the, then we moved down south when I was nine. South. I guess everything in Canada. <laughs> so, okay, let's say Canada's the fridge. Well, you didn't move I to moved Alaska. from the freezer to the crisper. <laughs> So we moved to the crisper. Got it. <laughs> but, Got we, it. but I was born in the freezer. Yeah. And, but moved to the crisper, southern yeah. Ontario, Brampton. And um, also a small community. Yeah, it was. Now know. it's not. It's a very big place hmm. now uh, outside of Toronto, but a small town at the time. And um, and that was when I was, that was my real, um, yeah, those are the, but that's where I was really formed. Yeah. Brampton. That's where you, where you became an adolescent with hormones and. Yes questions and yes yeah and a bike and a bike <laughs> please banana please seat do your next your next one of my show i want it to be hormones questions and a bike and, and a bike and it'll be about your, your teenage years yeah uh, so what how much freedom did you have are you one of those kids like i was that like you know Absolutely. We all say, right? Oh. Up to a certain point, yeah. even kids, even people who are much younger than me, but yeah. I still feel like there's a cutoff where I've sort of found the sweet spot where suddenly kids aren't telling me anymore or, or people younger than me aren't telling me anymore. Like, oh, we'd go out all day. Nobody cared where yeah. we were. No one was asking any questions. Yeah. You came home at a certain time. You know, my joke is that, it didn't you, came, you know, they, they, they kicked you out of the crack at dawn and said, come home when you're bleeding. Yeah. That's about <laughs> right. Yeah. We had enormous freedom. This is the one thing I think about young kids today. I feel bad for them. I feel like they need to be rescued from the clutches of their parents. These ridiculous helicopter parents need to back the fuck off before they ruin the generation. I mean, it's really... But hasn't crime gone down? I mean, Yeah, that's what's weird, is that we're living in the safest period in human history. Yeah. Yet we're behaving like we're at siege. Well, it's, it's so it's weird. A con- it's a control thing, right? And I think it's yeah. especially and we don't have to go down this road for any length of time. But, you know, 
when you think about like people are now afraid to send their kids to school, which is supposed to be this this place where you learn and you're protective and you're with your peers and you don't know you can't control that or you fear that somebody is going to pull out a gun. Um, it does seem like it's more about what everything that I can control, I will. So the chances of you being abducted on a walk from school if we get to the point where it's like it's more likely you'll be in a school shooting than get abducted walking to and from school i don't even know what but maybe there's like these sort of responses to but you know about you know my history don't you about what you know you know you know my history about that don't you a little bit well yes but i don't know if you want to get into it well did you want to talk about because i think you do yeah um you the shooting is that what you're asking about Wait, do I know about this? You don't know. I don't know. Well, I was in a school shooting. You were? Yes. No, I don't know this. No, oh, I thought that's what you were no. getting at. When you were when you 16. were 16. Very funny that you and it's very funny that we were asking you this now. You haven't talked about this in a no, show we, I've seen. We, hmm? Like I you haven't talked about this in a place where I would have like where you're like, no, wait a minute, how can you I, not I've know this? I just started to do it in stand up. Wow. Yeah, I haven't heard you later. talk about this at all. I just started. Actually, it, the very first time I started doing stand-up was that um, when I was in San Francisco with you yeah. a year ago. Yeah. And I did one set, not not where I was doing the buddy show. Right. And I did up and I and I did the first my first bit about the shooting. Yeah. You know, I when I was them. six, and it's funny. Last night at two in the morning, I finished my screenplay, which is called "The Very Long Weekend." <gasps> That I've been working on for many, many years, oh my, oh, and I feel like last night I finally cracked it, and I'm ready for people to read it. And it's a high school uh, coming of age story, and, and wrapped around a high school shooting. I was in a shooting when I was 16. I did not know that happened first. To you when you were modern 16. North American high school shooting happened in my school in my class. What happened? May uh, May 28, 11:38 a.m. Kid behind me brought two guns to school and shot sixteen people, killed three, mm-hmm. including my teacher. And I, it's a, it's a thing. It's one of the things that's haunted me my entire life. It's an event that I, I continue to go back to. It's, a, it's an itch that I, I've never stopped scratching. I was sixteen years old, and I, I had never seen, I'd never seen guns before. I'd never seen a dead person. I'd never seen anything. I didn't even know this sort of thing happened, and then it happened. Like, I can't. Oh my god, yeah. that's crazy. my first joke about this. Is I talk about it, I get I'm very quiet about it, and I go, you know, when when I was a kid, 1975, 16 years old, and there was a high school shooting, a massacre, and 16 shot, three dead, which today doesn't sound very much. I'm almost embarrassed with the, oh with, the, with the puny death toll. But you know what? You you, you work with what you got. Oh. And, and uh, I never talk about it because, uh, you know, it's too traumatic. Well, not because of the shooting. I've dealt with that years ago. It's that when you do the math, you'll be able to figure out how old I am. <laughs> and, and, and I can't live with that trauma. But that's how, that's what my new show is going to be about. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And it's even my PTSD, the, the, routine, the thing I'm going to be doing for Earwolf, it's wrapped around the two major events in my with cancer and the shooting. Yeah. And, and it was a kid who sat right behind you. He sat behind me. He was he lived down the street from me. Um, it was my English class, and he came. He we, we I was late, so I was racing for class when it happened, and then it all erupted, and I ended up 
hiding in a class with a bunch of other kids and a teacher for about 45 minutes until we were rescued. And so I go back to that all the time. And every time I see something on television, I don't, like, I don't, like Gilroy yesterday, I don't look at them anymore. I, 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 I'm so calloused in a way. I look at it and I go, okay, and then I, I move on. Mm-hmm. I can't. It's not that it's too traumatic for me. It's just I just don't want to. I also, when I th- high school students, I go, to think that I was such an anomaly as a child, like what I went through, you think no one should have to go through that. And to think now that literally there are tens of thousands of children who have been through this now. There must be. Yeah. I mean, really, there must be. And, and I'm thinking, wow, this is why I'm, this show is important for me because I'm going like, because well, I think, well, it can. I'm basically going to say you'll get over it, but she really won't. Well, yeah, but I think. I mean, I but think that's, that's okay. That's a that is a big deal to have somebody who who's been there, who's been there, and yeah. and come this far. I mean, obviously, Columbine kids are a certain age, and they're doing what they're doing, yeah. and they're you know whether they're talking about it or they're not. I'm trying to get one of them for my it. podcast. But the, but yeah, the fact that that you've lived this much life in between—I've really survived a lot of yes, things. Yes, you have. And so I look at it and I go, "Well, I'm obviously t- a tough nut." Yeah. And I, I'm I'm comp- of course I'm full of scars, but you know my joke is that it's all right that I keep throwing in jokes, but I'm at least no, saying no, it that I'm I'm not pretending fine. that I came up with them on the spot <laughs> at least. Yes. That would be the cardinal thing. Because it's like, right you there. know, because you've got a pretty sexy scar on your arm that we need to talk about. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, unless you don't want to. But I'm fascinated by scars because, yeah. I mean, you know, I've got some big ones, too. But they're sexy. They get you laid. Emotional scars don't. They just make you better in bed. <laughs> <laughs> but you want to find a way to convey that before you get your clothes off. How do I, how do, how do I let this person see my emotional scars <laughs> to prove that I'm going to be a great lover? Because it's how do I get I that across? It's true. Yeah, you go. Sometimes I'm so good in bed. People go, "What happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> You're too good in bed." <laughs> Spill it. Let me hear it. Oh my! But God. it's true. So, so that so because when you talked about you know you wanted to talk about high school, and well, I guess she probably wants to know about the shooting. No, look at me. I'm not. I couldn't be less exploitative. <laughs> I had no idea. At best, I was like, you know, if the only thing I thought was like, well, I definitely have talked to you about your dad and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I thought, you know, that was probably not an easy time. But I certainly had no idea. Grade 11. No idea. Yeah. That's yeah. a, I mean, that, that's. And it's just, very, yeah, it's very. I can't, even, I can't comprehend it. I mean, well, there's so many things imagine. about it that are so big for me because the teacher, um, she was very young. She was 26. Uh, Margaret Wright was her name. Uh, she was pregnant. She'd just gotten married. It was her first year teaching, I think. So she was, we were terrible to her, but I was her best student. It was English. And she was the first person in my life to encourage me as a writer. So it's a big deal. It, it, I think I, I think about, I'm at the stage in my life where I look at these things and I go, what did that imprint on me? Like, what does that do to a child when the first person that takes an interest in you is murdered? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, she, w- I was such a bad kid. Like I was smart, but I was, uh, I was always in trouble. I never shut up. It's uh, even during the siege, I never shut up. The teachers would be like, "Shut the fuck up!" There's a gun, someone out there, and I'm like, "Yeah, la 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 la." I chattered. I was a chatterbox yeah, yeah, yeah. through the siege. Yeah, kind of explains explains things about me, I think. But, but also, like that's a coping mechanism. It is my that, coping. To be honest with you, I'm the same way, and. 
I really do feel like it's it has saved me in situations where if I have the ability, first of all, to express anything, but also because it means I'm not catapulted into this catatonic place where yeah. I'm afraid I'll never come back from. Like my mouth just won't open and words won't work anymore. Yeah. So it's that burbling out. But if that also gets me any kind of connection with another person, mm-hmm. whether it's that they want me to shut up or yeah. they're interested or they're doing the same thing, yeah. um, it like tethers me to something that's outside of myself. Because yeah. this place is really scary. She said yes. pointing to her own chest. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like there's something about that that... Well, well, comedy, can, yeah. I mean, can, and you're always, when you're chat, you're always trying to f- seize on something funny. Yeah. Right? Oh, totally. Uh, when, when, I'm, right? when I get any accident I've been in that I've had to go to the hospital or anything, I am so focused on trying to make the person laugh who's me with me that, but I'm, and, and I, I say it, I'm like, listen, you're going to have to put up with a lot yeah. of really bad jokes because this is just my way of coping with this. And, you know, that's, and this that's idea that comedy, the modern, this modern notion that a lot of people have bought, which is that comedy can't touch everything. That's such nonsense. Everything. There's not a single thing that is beyond comedy's reach. Yeah. Do you feel, have you found that, uh, have you found that, that, People who are the most uncomfortable with the darkest humor mm. you have are the people who haven't gone through it, and that the people who have yes. gone through it are like, "Thank God, thank you for making a joke about this." Because people who Absolutely. haven't gone through it assume they're protecting the yeah, people who they do. have. Yeah, right. It's I, like, oh, the intentions. Yeah. I appreciate the intention, but why don't you let that person tell me I had no right? And they're to the ones. They're the ones that are the scolds. Yeah, they're always scolding you. I'm yeah. like, but you don't even. You've never been there, yeah. so you don't know what that world looks like. Yeah. So you don't. You should shut up. You yeah. should let us scarred people make jokes. Right. You should let us make appalling jokes because that's good for society. Yeah. Because I remember like, this is terrible. I wrote this joke last night where the print, and I, I don't remember if I saw it, if I actually said it, but in my screenplay I do. <laughs> the principal comes on, and this is true. He was really upset. He was crying, right? I mean, didn't make us feel very good. Right. But my character, I don't know if I, pro- I don't know if I've said that, whispers to the kid that they're hiding with. Well, and he's making a speech, but he's weeping. I go, well, it's certainly, he's no Churchill. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, I mean... this is true. And I'm ashamed of this, but I'm going to tell it anyway. There was a kid, <laughs> there was a girl who'd been wounded that we were taking care of, but it was a very small wound. And it could have been, and I thought, I wasn't impressed by it. But I was probably quite jealous because I was like, oh, she's going to get a nice scar. and But she's not going to be, she's not going to die. She's not going to lose any functions. Right. It's not going to you know, hurt her for the rest of her life. She's going to have a nice scar on her arm, much where yours is. And it's, and I'm like, oh, God. And, but she just got winged. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think I didn't say this, but my character in the in the screenplay goes, "Are you sure you didn't just get scratched by your cat?" <laughs> God forbid. My character's so that jealous person, of. Yeah. Her. You know what? Again, but that's, that's the kind of thing that people get uncomfortable about because it's very hard to admit that most of us are in some way. It's just varying Looky degrees. Yeah. Looky lose and. We're I by by our what seems to me our very nature mm-hmm. is we put ourselves at the center of the universe mm-hmm. because we have consciousness. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what it is. Nobody knows why we have it. I mean, if you have a person of faith, obviously that's yeah. you think that's why. Mm-hmm. But um, but 
But, you know, on a scientific level, they haven't been able to sort no. of explain consciousness, which maybe that does mean there's God, whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, but it, we relate everything back to ourselves because that's the only consciousness we can ever experience is just inside here mm-hmm. rather than like, and then I went into Scott's brain and body and mind and I could feel him feeling this. That might be why I'm so screwed up. I gave my first interview at 16. Want to hear my interview story? Please. It's fucking hilarious. Please. It's so funny. I'm coming out of a funeral. And this is after the shooting. You're like, no, this is unrelated. Coming out of a That'd funeral with a bunch of kids, one of the kids that was killed, and the reporters were all outside, right? And one of them comes running up to me, right? And I go, and the reporter goes, what's the mood in there? Oh, my God. What's the mood? What a gift they what gave you. What's the mood in there? What a weird no, gift they gave you. Here's how I end. I miss this little kid, and I went, no comment! <laughs> <laughs> and I walked into a tree. <laughs> And I've been pretty much giving that interview ever since. No No comment, I said (laughs) self-righteously. What's the mood in that funeral for the teenage boy that was murdered? Oh, my God. Quite upbeat, actually. Oh, my God. What a moment. But I I knew what that was like. So I look at a lot of these kids and I go, they're basking in the fame. And also they're kids. They're kids. There's no how are you supposed to feel like you're supposed to look at our school jacket sold out that year. You couldn't get our school jacket. Everybody wore that jacket because everybody was like, You went to death high? You were right? So we were stars. We had a we had a telegram from the fucking queen, okay? Did you really? Yeah. A telegram. Telegram from the queen on our bulletin board. What did it say? Yeah, what's what's the all, mood over there? We're Stop. All, <laughs> we're all perplexed <laughs> by the situation that has unfolded in that colony <laughs> that you call Canada. <laughs> our hearts and minds are with you oh my God. in this terrible time. Oh, my God. Queen. Uh, the Prime Minister, President of the United States. Mm. Boom. Because it was so unheard of. We were I the front page. I just keep forgetting that the Queen has anything to do with Canada or had anything to do with Canada. I always Look forget at, that. I'm so old now. This will freak you out. When I was a kid, we didn't have a flag. Really? No. Canada got a flag. I'm surprised they didn't make it your high school jacket. <laughs> it's true. I think it was 1965. When I, in 1967, but I remember as a little child, when I went to school, the first few years, there was no, you did, there was no Canadian anthem. There was no Canadian flag. I mean. There was a picture of the queen in the corner and a Union Jack. Wow. This is not that long ago. No, not and at all. And we sang, God save the queen. Wow. And I could sing every word, God save the queen. And then I remember when we got the flag in the late 60s, there was a, I remember as a kid going, I don't like it. Yeah. We don't need it. I was very British. Yeah. Like I I like ginger beer <laughs> and I like I knee high socks. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of a sense of, what kind of a sense did you have of like French Canada and BC? Oh. Like it would be like you're in so you're you're in the Ontario area. The you're, first part of my life uh was in French and English Canada. Oh was Northern okay. Ontario is both. Got it. But I didn't, you didn't, they had their own thing. Like Ottawa is like across Ottawa's the river both. from, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. Ottawa is a bilingual yeah. town. Uh, no- Northern Ontario is very, the French were like, you know, when you're a Canadian, when you're a Canadian, you have to be, you have to be in a weird way, tri-national. 
let's say if you're an English Canadian, you have to understand the French Canadians, and then you have to understand the British mm. and the Americans, maybe quadrinational. I was going to say, God, the Americans probably too. Yeah, but you really have to know the you have to know American culture. Yeah, and you and then you don't have to know British culture the way you used to, but they did when I was young, and you had to know French culture. But French culture was 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 more was more foreign than um, in many ways British culture and American culture. Hmm. But I felt, as a child, I felt more attuned to the Britain, and then as I've grown older, I, I think it's Canada's story. Canada's grown much closer to the States, yeah. but now we're pulling apart again. Right. But um, French Canadians, there were lots of French kids in the North, but I didn't... Um, we had French... We had television back then. Half the day would be French, half the day would be English. And they would play programs where the first half of the program would be like children's programs back then when I was little up north the first half would be French and then the first half second half would be English hmm. but you didn't really n- notice interesting but we were bilingual yeah I mean I can speak it but I was not I would not call myself fully bilingual yeah but um but you were always afraid much like the Irish would have been back then you're always afraid of the country breaking up mm-hmm. very much so um which as a child was exciting Right. I didn't understand what that would mean. Right. But ever since the referendum, that's sort of gone. The, th- the thought of Quebec separatism now seems absurd. Mm. Do you think that they feel that way too? I don't know. I do. Yeah, right? Well, I, I do because I know that when I go to Quebec now, I don't feel the same uh, tension that right. I would have felt years ago. Right. Young French people, they aren't, they're much more modern people now. They're much more international people. Did you ever get a chance to have a, 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 like a an smoldering affair an affair oh, with God. a Frenchman who was like, oh. we don't want to be... Yeah. yeah. It's, I'm it, so glad. It, in fact... I'm so that, glad that was not... You were not deprived of that. Oh, too, no. So. That's how most English Canadian boys come of age. Amazing. They go to Montreal and get laid. Really? I'm, I'm so satisfied by this. common. Yeah, my first... I had definitely... A, I had a French boyfriend. Um, right. you, it was very... There, it was sort of like, tick. <laughs> French Canadian boyfriend, tick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and mine was black and French, so I got to tick two oh, boxes sure, at once. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> I didn't have time. I didn't have time to waste. That's right. That's right. I, I had to. Uh, you got to have two boxes, and we're not interested. I'm not interested. Yeah. yeah. Um, but here's the, and here's the thing about this too, and the way that the two countries, America, United States, and Canada, see the world. Like you guys. You see French people and French culture as kind of effete and ooh la la, right? The French male is kind of effeminate. The French people are like um, surrender monkeys and all that sort of thing in the war. They're not considered. They're considered effete and and um, too well. The most fancy. the most cliche yeah. version and the most simplification would be that Americans are dogs and French are cats. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like yeah. that sort that of. That is it. What, but yeah. in Canada. But no, those swarthy it's different. are like. It's the opposite. Yeah. French Canada is actually the dogs were the cats. They're actually the masculine part of the of the fulcrum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's the English side which is considered the female side of the yeah. fulcrum. I think that's fascinating. Don't yes, you? I do too. Yeah. Even like, so when I, when the way the Americans think about French people is completely opposite to the way I think of French people. I think of French people dirty, hairy, smelly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. I totally get it. I totally get it. But, yeah. and, and, and even English people too, like Americans see English as that way, but. That's not okay. Like I, I think of England, I think of them as kind of rough too, like mm-hmm. Cockneys and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I don't think of them all as wearing wigs and right. high heels and all right, that. Right. But that's an American thing too. Yeah. Towards most European, it's like this. Well, American, it's the frontier, right? It's the, it's frontier. the frontier. It's the we got, a, we got out of there because we're yeah. a bunch of scrappers. That's right. You know what I mean? And you didn't negotiate your way out of it like we did. <laughs> right. You fought right. your way out. Right. We were like, hmm. We have a lot in common. <laughs> Let's talk about what we have in common. We behaved like lesbians. You behaved like John Wayne. Oh like straight. You're a straight male. Oh my We're a lesbian. Am I wrong about that? That's amazing. Consensus. That's amazing. You know what? There's a group that hasn't been heard from. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. Canon. I hope this is in, going into your act if it's not already there. No, but that's good. I love hearing you talk about. I this. love that. I always think of Ken as a lesbian. This so is a, this is like a straight male. It's so funny. And so you got to oh. deal with that. Like, and that's why when I look at the, I'm not very, I'm not sophisticated politically. I don't. I see things in a much more like kind of spiritual way, or like I think of countries as animals mm-hmm, or or, mm-hmm. or people. Yeah. And so, like, I think about like the American your dilemma right now. I'm going. You're never going to defeat Trump unless you realize you've got to appeal to some of the things that he puts out there. Because you know what? If you go too far left, it's just not going to happen. So I, I, I think I see America in a clear, in a clear way. Like, well, you're going to have to pull away from some of those because you're not going to win. Do you feel that you, you're, that you're unique in that way? Or do you feel that those are conversations that do happen across the border in Canada? That people are like, why aren't they understanding that? I think so. But Canada's a very, Canada's a socialist country, right? right? Like, so I think that's partly like some of my, some of my beliefs here. People like, whoa, that's a little crazy, but I'm not an American. And I'm a born rebel. Like I'm like, you know, it's like that old thing when they said at Brando and the wild ones, what do you have rebellion against? What do you got? But I, so I'm pushing against a different... I come from a socialist country, which has no show business. So, of course, I'm going to have a different way of looking at the world. And then, of course, I wanted... I just wanted to be Canadian because right. I loved the French language because I was like the one thing I, my mom and I connected on French? when I was little. I mean, I... But so... Oui, oui, un peu. Oh, mon Dieu. J'ai un bon accent. Oui. De temps en temps. Mais when I go there and I speak this well... Right. So people, so so then people are like, ah, vous parlez français, et c'est bon de je me dis bonjour, and I'm like, plus lent, plus lentement, plus lentement. Plus lentement. Yeah, <laughs> but then, but then, someone just, uh, someone just made this joke on stage um, at a at a like a benefit show I was at, which is a guy who. Um, I think he might have majored in Spanish. I wish I could give him credit. I can't remember his name. But he said that he's got a great... It was the first time I ever heard this articulated, which was that he is, he's got a great um, Spanish accent. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, he, I, I, he looks Mexican enough. Mm-hmm. And so when he's down there uh, and, he's, and he speaks, um, people assume that he's Mexican. Mm-hmm. And then when he tries to tell them that he doesn't, mm-hmm. he's saying it so well that yeah. it is as if you are with a person in America and they say, hey, Scott, how you doing? And you go, oh, I'm doing great. I went to the laundry store and they go, I'm sorry, could you speak more slowly? I don't speak English that well. You would be like, you're yeah. fucking with me. I'm listening to you. You have a perfect yeah. accent. Clearly your, your you Your accent's too good. That's how sometimes it is in France if I'm really uh, on a good day. But I'm probably sure, not in, yeah. in Quebec. Not at all. Not at all. I wouldn't. I don't know how to... Yeah, I so, have my one listener, uh, Pierre Jerome, who is uh, French Canadian, and he will, uh, from time to time, either on Twitter or, or in an email, correct me on some things that I've said. But 
Hello, Jerome. I love it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wanted to be Canadian because I, I knew that they had French and English. Mm-hmm. They had Anne of Green Gables oh. and they had the kids in the hall. Oh. I mean, honestly, that's like what I, I was like. Those are the things that mean the most to me really? right now. Yeah. As a teenager, I was are like, you watching Those are some the new Anna Green things. Gables and with an E? I haven't been able to. It's wonderful. I know, but I'm so attached to Megan Follows and Colleen Dewhurst and Richard Farns. Oh, I know Megan up. Follows. I'm just like those are those are they were so real <laughs> to Dewar. me. Well, that was great. You know, those are great books. They're wonderful books. They're wonderful. They're books. wonderful books. They're really really special. Yeah. So now they'd say she was a boy. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah, probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> when she hits Gilbert with the, she smacks him with oh, the, so satisfying. the tablet. So satisfying. So, but it's true. But the thing is about Canada that you're missing is that we don't have show business like you do. Right. There's no Hollywood. And that's what I love about this country. Yeah. So, there's a lot of things I love about the mm-hmm. States, but God, I love, <laughs> God, I love Hollywood. Yeah. And we yeah. can't do that. We're too fair. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Fairness, interestingly enough, is not compatible with showbiz. When when art becomes too fair, you destroy it because it's not given out. It's not fair. And that's what worries me about the trends that are happening right now where I think a lot of American people in our business are like, we want to be just like Canada. I'm going, well, you don't really because you write yourself out of a, a job. Yeah. You're shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Because this this town thrives in a, in, in unfairness. Boy, it doesn't and, it? And, and capitalism. Yeah. And elevating people in a way that's not socialist and not fair. So you be you should be very careful. Mm. God, that's so interesting. <laughs> it's like you're an interesting friend of mine <laughs> that I enjoy talking to. It's almost like that. <laughs> I thought I mean, I had a friend who was who's was Swedish and was raised in Sweden and then yeah. came when his parents divorced, his mom was American, she came back out and he he went to he was like a I guess he was a freshman. He went to freshman through I think he went even to maybe the U of A, but then he moved back to Sweden at a certain point. But he was uh, fascinating to so many of us, speaking of wanting to be special and being uh-huh. a kid and yeah. what are the things that are you know, make you different. Um, but he carried a briefcase, which by the way, I don't think that many Swedish kids carried a briefcase, but like as long <laughs> no. as he was, I love you, Jonas, if you're listening. Uh, but he was like, I'm already different. Why not carry a briefcase? I love and that. he would walk around with this tape recorder, this like, you know, auto tape recorder that he would press. And he would record stuff for his best friend, Sigge, who was still back in Stockholm or in Sweden. And, uh, and he would walk around and like interview people. And, you know, we had this idea of this like magical person living across the ocean mm-hmm. that was his best friend who's getting this all these tastes of American culture. But even then, Jonas was so smart and highly analytical. And he would deconstruct what was going on in American mm-hmm. politics and stuff, right. even at like age 15, in a way that was so intimidating to me. Because I couldn't imagine having any kind of outside perspective about what it means to be American. Well, and hard. it continues to be fascinating for well, that Well, it reason. is hard for you guys because you're not given it you're not taught it in school you're not raised to look beyond your borders because you have so much right that's part of it like you when you have a country which has every kind of climate every kind of topography every kind of people all in one place why would you go anywhere else right yeah when you come from an from a, a frozen wasteland like canada you have to leave you live in a vast nation with only 30 million people. 
what are you going to do? You got to get out. And half of them are French. It doesn't, I'm not writing them off, but you know what I mean. Right. But I meant that, you know, you, you share that vast land. It's a very different way. You have to get out. Yeah. Like almost all Canadians have a passport. Did you, did you feel that, 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 I mean, whether you could articulate it to yourself as that or not, as a younger person, did you feel like I'm the only one in my family who has, who feels the pull to do and be different or to go somewhere? Or did you kind of all feel that way? No, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I did feel different with my brothers. Definitely. Um, and I wanted out quickly. Like I, I thought that I wanted, not that I didn't love Canada, I, but I knew I had to get out of my small town. I had to see the world. I wanted out of the, and when I was 18, I, I, I was in, I got picked to be on an exchange program and lived in the Philippines for mm. a year. And that changed my life. My goodness. So that was a, that was a huge game changer for me. Did you, was it specifically the Philippines that you wanted or no. was it like you're going to find out? There was out? 14 countries that it was a program called Canada World Youth and they would, basically choose like 500 kids and they would separate them and all kinds of kids you had to represent different parts of your country and then they would pair you with a person there were like 14 countries involved all um, third world countries mm. poor countries and you would be paired with a per- person from that country and you would spend half the year in your country in a part of the country you weren't from Wow. Oh, wow. And then the second half, you went to their country and you lived in their part of the world. And the thing is, it's not like the Peace Corps. Very Canadian. There was no, the only goal, this is so beautiful, was to foster understanding between the first and the third world. You, there were, you didn't go there to build um, latrines right. or any Administer of that. Vaccines. You, you weren't there to be a right. white savior. You, right, you didn't. Right. You were just to learn. Wow. So it was almost an entire year. And that changed everything for me. I just went, oh, my God. We are the same. Oh, my Lord. Because it's one thing to think about it on paper. Yes. Right? But it's another thing to have it right in your face where you're like, oh, my God, I can't look away. We're the same. Mm. Right? Because I kind of, it was a very, very white uh, middle class town not now but when I grew up so I didn't there weren't very few people the big racial divide it wasn't even a racial divide it was an ethnic divide it was between the Anglos and the Portuguese hmm. which were not even considered white at the time of course now they do and look at the shit we've been look <laughs> I hope you're happy Portuguese now now no one wants to be white ha ha Portuguese and Italians you fucked up you fucked up don't you think they wish they were not white now oh my God. <laughs> they, oh. they fought their whole lives and now they're oh like why God. did we fucking do no. that we'd be so far ahead of the game the does the door closes yeah <laughs> but but that was it and so I, I got adopted by a family of 15 I lived in a hut with no electricity on a rice paddy. Is this so? Oh, was it the maybe. same for your, um, the your, the person you were paired with? They did they also live elsewhere in the Philippines, or did they go back to you? No, you, they. You? I had a different. Mine was different because I, I had a, they had I had to have different people. My first partner, um, I don't know what happened. There was a mistake, and I didn't couldn't get him for the second part. So the second part, I had a girl. And I went oh, to her okay. family in the north. But no, and it was actually in her part of the city. She went to her part of the... I lived in her part of the country. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but the part of the country in Canada, was, I lived in northern Alberta. And I was... We were... Joji, his name was. Joji Gayaranod. And we were... We, we, sh- we, rent, we lived with a Ukrainian family. And we were cub reporters on the Bonneville Nouvelle. Oh, my goodness. And it was a... You'd love this, too, because of your love of French and stuff. This is a weird part of the country. Northern Alberta. 
It's so strange up there. It's French, it's English, and it's Ukrainian. They literally, people speak Ukrainian wow. on the street. Wow. Like they're not ashamed. <laughs> But that, but that was it, and then, and then I went to there. Then I went to the Philippines, and this is like 1979, the Marcoses, you know, a dictatorship. Yeah, phenomenal. It's amazing that so that was, that that exchange could happen. Well, imagine today. You yeah. could imagine young people today going, "We're going to take your child. We're going to put them in a fucking." North Korea, where yeah. you're going to go. Where there's no electricity or running electric. water, yeah. and there's an active guerrilla war going on. Not gorillas, gorillas. Mm, correct. And there was. And we're going to keep them there for a year. And some of them might come back, some might not. But they're going to be better for it. You no. can't even, your kid won't even walk to school nowadays. But man, once again, back to what we originally talked about. Lucky, lucky, lucky. Yeah. But absolutely if my parents knew what happened over there holy shit i mean i am amazed that i got out and alive. how old were you when you did that 18 okay so you had already you'd you'd already finished got, high had, school and had and been mm-hmm. at the shooting and all that kind of oh yes stuff that so i was prepared a series of experiences that the average well i think a lot of, i think that that shooting thing in experience. some ways in a weird way in a strange way mm, this is a very difficult thing to talk about but i'm going to because I like talking about difficult things, it, it, it kind of set me up for a life of adventure. Because it's interesting, because I've been chasing it, chasing that feeling mm-hmm. for my whole life. Not the feeling of, of, of what happened, survival. Does that make I sense? I think that makes absolute sense. Because nothing I've ever done, no drug, no sexual encounter, no trip, nothing, no performance has ever touched that feeling of surviving. Have you seen, this is a, but did you, did you ever see the movie Fearless? Yeah, Because that's what it's about. Exactly. I was obsessed with that movie when it that's came out. Ex- obsessed with I it. became so cavalier, so reckless after that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us did. And in many, in so many ways, like I've almost, I've, I got, I've had at least nine lives. And I think that's part of it. I go like, well, you just can't kill me. And that's, I shouldn't do that because that's arrogant. And, and God doesn't like that when you get arrogant. If You know what I mean? If there is a God, I don't want, I'm, I'm not going to be arrogant about it. But I do think. But also with all the stuff that you've gone through, aren't you entitled to have that, to have that point of view? Well, in a I, way. I mean. In a way. Arguably, through magical thinking I yeah, am. Yeah, through magical thinking. Yes. Which what, I mean. Which is isn't what isn't magical it's not, thinking? Well, it's not logical, ways. but I because people, but my friends, some of my friends go, why would you go to? Because I love to just travel to countries that I don't know and just plop myself down and then without any plans. And friends are like, why would you do that? I go, well, it's gonna be fine. Yeah, because the world. I guess I've always known that the world is dangerous from yeah. day one. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are. Like I mean, I think that's one thing. When I was a child, I grew up in an idyllic kind of, you know, like. Happy Days kind of a town. Right. And it didn't matter. Right. It still didn't stop the fact that a kid wasn't going to come to school and shoot it up. Exactly. So for me, I look and I go, well, darkness is everywhere. Yeah. Because there's light, so there's darkness. Right. Right. Because every room has a corner. Yeah. So in that way, I think that's, I'm not, I I think of the world, I do think of the world as a battle and, and dangerous, but I'm not 
bothered by it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it have it makes I'm not I'm not sense. paralyzed by it. It makes perfect at sense. At all. Well, let me let me uh, just to dig a little deeper maybe into that. Do you feel like do you feel like you've expressed that through relationships as well? Do you feel that there's a fearlessness to relationships or do you feel that there's something self-contained about your bravery or your, your sense of that I don't like, need randomness. anyone. Yeah. Is that, well, now you're really, <laughs> you're, I did. You're, you're not, you weren't happy with oh, ripping no. the bandaid off. Oh, no. You wanted to rip we... the scab off and then you wanted to poke no, at it with a needle. This is that you, that you say that you, you split, speak so mellifluously about it all. And you, and you, and you, you're circumspect about it in a way that makes me feel like it's not dangerous territory or that I'm not being disrespectful. No. So it's hard not to, because, because you have such a great perspective on stuff it's hard not to want to say then well how do you feel about this then if this then what well, else I do, but i don't I, I really never, don't mean to pry. i've had relationships over but i've never had one that lasted for a, i've never really made one work for a long time right and i don't know what that is um i don't know if i ever will um it, it, it's painful and, and i wonder why and, and do you think and are you kind of are you saying that because I didn't trust people. Is that what it I, means? I, I don't. I didn't have a reason in my mind when I asked it at all. That I think eventually they'll turn on you. I don't know. I, I really don't know. Because I could also see it just being that it's not about trust. That it's more about that you have a closer relationship to yourself and your mortality than other people who are sort of looking to oh, tether themselves to the, to the sure. earth in a different way. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing, even if that were true. Well, that that is that that I think. Do you that know what I mean? True. Like for example, like at my where at the age I'm at right now, a lot most almost everyone is confronting their mortality, but I'm not. Because I already did it a long time ago. And more than I did once. it at 16. I did it at 18 when I had encephalitis. I had another thing. I did it in the Philippines. I did it with cancer. I'm a gay man. I was going to ask did you. It I was going to say, did, my whole did 20s, you have, yeah, of did course. you look around going, all right, so when I'm am like, I going to get the positive oh, people test? Are like, oh, now that you're in this age, people are going to start dying on you. I go, you mean like when I was that. in my 20s? Yeah. No, it's going to be a lot easier. Yeah. So in that way, I think in some ways I'm going to be, uh, in some ways I might get away with, I won't have to confront mortality as much as people my age are because I've already confronted it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I think I did make a decision, maybe, maybe not consciously as a young person, that I wanted to have more than anything an adventurous life. Well, I'm sorry that didn't work out for you. Yeah, it's true. It's such a I really did. Like, I wanted an adventure i wanted i want to be like david niven the moon's a balloon that's the kind of biography i want where it's just one madcap adventure after another one crazy love affair do you know what i mean yeah. one in a guerrilla war then a civil war then a love affair in the middle of a war yeah but that goes back to what you but were saying about happened. the survival you know and 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 wanting to I mean, I think on on a very basic level, there is this sort of sense of a shedding of some sort of skin. Like, well, that was the skin that experienced that, and out of necessity, I move past that and I grow this new coat. You know, mm -hmm. I've just moved from skin to coat. Whatever, yeah. just bear with me. Uh, maybe you grow fur one time, and then your next adventure, you're naked, and yeah, then exactly. the next adventure, you have scales. You're a slippery so otter. You're a lizard yeah. person. Then you're a slippery, slick, oily otter. You know, but like to have those, to feel those. 
those kind of that that sense of like something new growing you I know like like, the, like a wildfire like yeah. oh, the wildfire at the oh, time everyone's like oh my god this no. is so like you know you sort of think of the worst yeah. and then you have to have the experts say no 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 this it's is good it's good like we need it not to say that some everyone should flip their cigarettes out into the desert right. but that there's you know when they occur naturally that there's a reason for it and that there is this and sort let's of be honest growth, you know um someone throwing their cigarette out the side of the car it's also natural well, that's humanity. Right. Yeah. So is that always is that, on us is that our truly less everybody. natural than a rogue lightning strike? Right. I mean, no. No. I don't blame the cloud. I don't blame the smoker. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of do blame the smoker. Okay. I blame, I blame the smoker because I don't want to lose my, my double wide. <laughs> Look at me. I got all class. I know. There was no need for that, Scott. No need. No need. But, you know, so in that way, like, I mean, there's, a, I'm going, what the hell? How did I end up this age and be alone? Well, I, I mean, it, it's not, it can't have all been a, an accident. Right. I'd love to have someone, but I, you know, but I, but I also look and I go, well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't look back and go, oh, what a waste of a life. Not at all. No. 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 But I do think that that's a problem today. I think people have gotten way too safe happy. You have to let people be free to screw up and to hurt themselves. And we we can't put all of society in a car seat. There are things that I've gone through that um, I find myself wishing I would have gone through earlier. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think... Like, like what? Well, I mean, I guess because I was a kind of a fearful kid and then I had the, the good or bad fortune of not having a whole bunch of stuff happen to me um, that, that I... It's like, well, I'll use this example because it's, it's again, this most sort of simplistic, like, French cats, American dogs uh, metaphor. But, um, but I was never stung by a bee when I was little. What? I was never stung by a bee, and I was afraid of bees. And I became terrified of oh, bees okay. because the further away yeah, i got yeah. mm-hmm. as a person from never having been stung the more i thought i probably am allergic i'm yeah. gonna have some sort of reaction it's gonna hurt so bad have to have an EpiPen. yeah and so i had just <clears throat> i mean i don't want to say I, I like mythologized bees to where i wouldn't sit at a picnic table if there were bees but i was very very uneasy around bees <laughs> because i just had no relationship to and... it and when i was in my late 20s I finally got stung by a oh, bee. Oh, lucky you. And, and everybody who's listening to every episode of my podcast knows this because I know I've brought it up more than once. But my first response was, thank God I finally got stung. Yeah. And the second response was, oh no, female bees die when they sting you. That was so pointless. And I felt so bad that this little bee had given her life to protect what? She was in my car. I was getting into my car and she stung me on the neck. No one got, no one won in that situation. Like, oh good, I, you protected the queen. Where's your fucking hive? You're in my car. Car. Were so you I driving? Felt so sad. No, thank God. I I was just getting into my car and I felt something weird on my neck, <laughs> and then I just got right back out, and then there was a little bee already kind of writhing on my car seat, and I was like, "Oh no, that was so pointless." But did I it react badly, so, or was it just a regular old bee it sting? It definitely hurt. Yeah, you know, I does. I got dizzy because of course your <laughs> adrenaline's like pain, 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 and it was right near my jugular, so yeah. it, it kind of you know zinged me. And then I, you know, put some stuff on it and then I was fine. And then I suddenly had no problem being around bees because I was like, oh, I, I know what that is. So that's that's the kind totally. of thing I'm talking about. Like well, yeah. big and little things. You don't wish trauma to happen no. on younger people. But there are some mm. things that you 
you, it, I, I wish that I wouldn't have had to be afraid of bees that whole time if I had just yeah. been stung by. Do you know like what I mean? Did you ever break bones or anything? Because I had, no, I have broken, I've had two broken wrists, a broken arm, and a broken elbow. Yeah. Because, and that's, and you know, you can break and heal. And that's the, and, and, yeah. and I was a kid who just kept not ever having, I mean, I would have lots of like, I fell off my bike and I had scrapes and I was clumsy. In fact, I kind of fetishize healing in a weird way. But I think that makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm obsessed when I have a cut. I just can't stand, I can't stop watching it heal. Yeah. And I'm fascinated by all of that. I think I, that, I know it will. I always know it will happen. Yeah. Like even with I cancer, I went, I, I, the biggest, that, that's a, that's a big cut and it healed. Yeah. And it, yeah, I've got a scar and I'm scarred from it, yeah. but I, I didn't just, I killed it. So it's weird. It's weird. Like, I, I guess it's like, I think that, I think we do children a real disservice by protecting them too much. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. I'm Mujan Safagari, and I play a bunch of characters on Mission to Zix, an improvised science fiction podcast on Maximum Fun, and this is our incredible sound designer, Shane. Hello. Now, Shane makes it possible for me to play a thousand billion characters in our galaxy. Such as the Bajarian Jane, Ship of the Stars. And the Enforcer Joy, prepare to eat pancakes. And wait, let's get dusted up, baby. And Emissary Turk Mannequin. Hey, I just got out of their amp. And the Horrible Life. Oh, also there are five other cast members, and we'll give them just all a second to say hi. Uh, hello. Yeah, that's enough. Okay, so the season finale of Mission to Six is coming out next week, so it's the perfect time to dive in and catch up with our intrepid crew as they explore the Zix Quadrant. So give us a listen to Mission to Zix on Maximum Fun. All right. Okay. Mash this new game. Mansion, apartment, shack, house. Basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you for three things in these different categories that I'm going to give you right now, and then we have this sort of eeny, meeny, miny, mo process by which I then give you your future. I tell your future, and it's going to be full of goodies because I'm just asking you for things that you like. Okay. For example, I'm going to ask you for the first one. Let's do three. places and times that you can travel to nothing bad's going to happen to you you're in a safety oh, bubble okay. so you're you get to experience uh the world in a way that you that you you wouldn't ordinarily be able to okay three three times yeah so you give me three you'll end up with one of them okay well but it's three one options. of them would be i i wouldn't i i don't know what it's called i don't know if it's the jurassic era or mm-hmm. whatever but it's the the, the era when human beings mm-hmm. were here and they were still coexisting with neanderthals mm-hmm. and there might have been some dinosaurs left around great okay yeah. great so very very early uh i think you just described some measure of uh north northern alberta I'll let you decide who's who. Yes, I did, actually. You know all about Northern Alberta and all the dinosaur bones. How uh, do you know that? Isn't that a whole thing? Yes, it is. I don't know why. It is. Probably from one of one of you Canadians. It probably in is. In my life. Yep. Uh, okay, next, uh, yeah, next one. What's the next thing you would like to see and experience and be in safely? Another time? Safe. Mm-hmm. Renaissance Italy. Great. Uh-huh. And one more. Um. Oh. Victorian England. Great. Okay. Next one, uh, three adventures that you would like to have uh, in, within your lifetime. Well, this is 
it's too late for this, but I'd like to have been kidnapped by pirates and be a cabin boy. Great. Like Treasure Island. Okay. Perfect. Not, not kiss, maybe not kidnapped, but I run away with them. Right, right. Yeah. Cabin boy in a pirate ship. Great. Okay. Two more. Um... Well, it would have been fun to have been um, a boy, a child in the first balloon. Um, uh, like, it would have been nice to have been balloons. a passenger in the Montgolfier balloon. Oh, great! Just the first kid, like hanging around yeah. the Frenchman and saying, "Hey, do you want to come up? I need some more ballast." I love That'd it. That'd have been kind of a fun adventure. Love it. Okay, one more. So the first person just okay, an adventure. Oh, well, it'd be really fun to discover. Um, this entrance to the center of the earth. Ooh. Like to discover whether there really is a civilization down there. Love it. Great. Okay. Next category is uh, romance slash partnership slash sexy times. So this is in your fantasy. It can be a character in a book, a cartoon, an animal, a person, living or dead, just a character in a movie played by an actor. Who cares? Three individuals that in this alternate universe you would either like to just have nonstop sex with or just have a wonderful loving relationship with or any combination thereof. So just three actors? No, but it, like anybody. You could be like a Tom Sawyer. You know what I mean? You could be that. Well, or you could be like I was, yeah. Yogi Bear. Or you could say Brad Pitt. Or you could say, you know, Ronald Reagan circa 1960. The well, sky's the limit. okay, the James. Sky's uh, the limit. Sean Connery. Great. Um, in um, I would say the Man with the Golden Gun, Doctor No Era. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Here's Sean what's Con- wrong with me. I saw two James Bond movies over and over and over and over because they were on like HBO, mm-hmm. I guess, when it first started or whatever. And they were Octopussy mm-hmm. and Never Say Never Again, which oh, is not even that's, a real. That, that's Roger Moore, isn't it? No, it's Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Octopussy is Roger Moore. Okay. But um, but my understanding of Sean Connery was that he was him at that age. Oh. And so but people are like, oh, young Sean Connery. Beyond. I'm like, young Sean Connery? Give me never say never again, like, yeah, like late 40s oh, Sean Connery. Oh, uh, see, I even liked him when he was in Zardoz. Or like, or like uh, The Name of the Rose. I mean, please. Oh. Fucking Indiana Jones. Oh, in the my last God. Indiana Crusade. Jones. Okay, Harrison Ford and Indiana oh. Jones. Oh, that right. would be it. You know what I'd like to be? Karen Allen taking care of his wounds. Because oh. I have a real fetish with a man, a wounded man. Wonderful. Harrison Ford, ben, or or Clint Eastwood in, is it The Beguiling, when the nuns have to take care of his oh, yeah. broken ribs? Is he number three? Injured, no. <laughs> injured Clint Eastwood. But then it's two men that are I'm wounded. La- I know, I'm, I'm so laughing because I love the be idea someone, that all of them are wounded. I, I would say... Um, Idris Elba in oh. anything, yeah. but maybe Luther, because he's such a wounded man. I know. Such how many like how right many, after he punched a hole in the wall. How many contents of desks can he sweep <laughs> off in anger? Yeah, a lot, a lot. Uh, how many holes can he punch how, in a wall? How would you like to be continuity on a show like that, where the main character is always <laughs> destructive and like getting cuts on his face and throwing shit? Luther, fantastic. Luther. Okay, wonderful. Okay. Uh, next category, three places in the world that you would like to have a little vacation getaway, if you could. And getting there is, everything's sort of equidistant. It's like... Boracay in the Philippines. Oh, great. Next. Findhorn in northern Scotland. Oh. And? Oh. And a little pied-a-terre in Paris. Great. Paris. Mm-mm. pied <clears throat> 
Fantastic. Okay, next category is three foods mm. that in our reality mm-hmm. either are very fattening or oh. they give you the sugar rush, but then you feel sick afterwards or they're incredibly rare and expensive mm. uh, or you're allergic to it. Whatever your reasoning is, in this reality, that doesn't exist. All of that goes away and you can have whatever you want, three things, at the snap of your fingers mm-hmm. in perpetuity and it's good for you. It doesn't even matter. It's like, oh, foie gras is good for you and the environment, didn't you know? Oh. This is our fantasy, our food fantasy land. Okay, um, so I'm going to have to have a, a main and then... You do whatever you want. Well... I like that you're establishing rules for yourself. Well, I like... You don't have to eat nothing but this, but this is just what you could have. Well, here's the thing like is, it. I don't... I really like... I, I'm not like a person who like craves fattening foods. Yeah. So I, I'm quite lucky that way. Yeah. You know? Like I like bitter things. Like, like I like kale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and if you said my last dessert, it wouldn't be coconut cream pie. It would actually just be a mango. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I would say coconut cream pie for dessert. Great. Um, is it wrong to have? I like I like game. There's nothing wrong with this. There's no. Well, I'm gonna have, like yeah. wild boar. Great. And then one last one. Well, and then. Because I I can't drink coffee. Coffee. Yep. There you go. Because I can't handle it any longer. This but I love. Yeah. Acidic. Can't handle yeah, it. It's acidic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I hear that. Okay. Next one is a fictitious character from film, from TV, from books. Uh, three that you um, would love to have as a real friend. Like oh, Oscar Wilde's my buddy, or oh, Anne of Green Gables. That's Huckleberry my girl. Finn. Great. Um. I can't say Anne of Green Gables because that's yours. You um, can have Anne of Green Gables. No, I'm, I'm not going to. Um, Harriet the Spy. Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and our third one? Yeah. So Huckleberry, me, Harriet. Um, it would be a good one. Um, can it, be, it has to be a person, eh? No. Um, I mean, if you say like a Rubik's Cube, I'll think yeah. you're weird. <laughs> you can't say Wilbur the Pig or anything. or like. No, you can Absolutely, can say Wilbur the Pig by all means. No, I think I'm gonna say I'm gonna go for a character from because I, I, I I've read a lot, so I'm gonna, I, I don't want to I'm I'm not gonna betray my literary um um pretension. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not gonna choose like you know um a Virginia Woolf character, right? Um, <laughs> okay, <laughs> Madame Bovary. Oh, great! Because <laughs> I'm just yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> She's living. Yeah. <laughs> She's living it out and up. Okay, great. Uh, okay. Three three modes of performance that for whatever reason oh. it's unlikely that you will get to actually maybe oh. do, but in this sort of fantasy world. Um oh. three different modes. Number uh, one. Yeah. Ballet dancer. Great. A magician. Great. Oh my god! I would love for you to incorporate magic into everything else you already do. I'm thinking of, of it that. would be amazing. I think that'd be and, and uh, so a ballet dancer, a magician, and the third one. Um, oh, I know um, one of those living mermaids. Great. Yeah, <laughs> in Florida. Yeah, in the fifties. Something about just the words "living mermaid" are yeah. so. In a one piece, it, it implies that so, yeah. that that there are a lot of dead stuffed mermaids out there, which yeah. is like a living not mermaid. a taxidermied mermaid. No, 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 not one of them. No living, a living in a tank <laughs> performing for people. Correct. Yeah, fantastic. In a one piece, fantastic. Best Myerson, Miss America bathing suit. Yeah. 
It's a very, a very obscure very reference. very exciting for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. All right. And then final category. This is where I get, I always choke up because I'm not sure how I want to end this. I feel like I all my ones that I was really excited about that I came up with I'll, have I've all exp- oh uh, you know what let's do this let's do three films oh. that you can jump into and just be with the characters you're not reenacting the plot oh. but it's the world and the feeling that film gives you three that you can jump into whenever you want gentlemen prefer blondes great clockwork orange <laughs> I I couldn't have wanted to spend the rest of my life with Alex more when I was 13 years old. <laughs> I was sure he was the man for me. Are you kidding me? No. Me too. I mean, it's, I felt it's like very him. un-PC'd, but very. I've been very open about admitting to like, you know, wanting to, you know, feeling like that's like he's, he's for me. The ultimate bad boy. Yeah. I mean, you really wanted to change a bad boy, didn't you? Oh my God. I don't remember wanting him to change though. Do you, you know what I mean? I don't remember being like, well, if I could work on him. I think it was more that, like, I personally needed permission to be as bad as him. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think it was more, it was more the attraction to the to being that person that I sexualized, rather than oh, if, he, the- I, if I could just change him, you know, I would just nurture him and he would become so sweet. Then you don't want it anymore. Well, so for me, it was more like I just wanted. I must have wanted to be out there. How old were you when you were watching that? 13, 13, 14. Taking Clockwork drugs, taking drugs. I wanted, I wanted to. It was like if I could just be out in the world, destroying Beating things, people up, wearing a cod piece, destroying things while listening to the synth version of Beethoven's Ninth. I would be set. Like that's I, bliss, everybody. Me too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I right there with you. I get a third one that makes me look like not a complete psychopath. Psycho? <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Great. Great, great, great. Okay, uh, pick a number between uh, one and six. Three. Okay. I'm going to pause this, uh, do some very important non-mathematics. I'm going to come back and give you my 100% guaranteed fictitious MASH future. Okay. All right, we're going to get into these MASH results. I'm very pleased. Um, First of all, I want to very much congratulate you on uh so you so at random you could have gotten a mansion apartment a shack or a house that's the mash part of the mm-hmm. mash game you got a house okay but it also qualifies as a parisian pied-a-terre okay. so oh, nice. that's not that's worth a pretty penny to have a friends. house in downtown paris uh, is a yeah. big deal yeah so which arrondissement is huge. it in um which arrondissement would you like it to be in neufième. oh the neuvième <laughs> félicitations <laughs> mon ami okay you uh also when you're like ugh my home in the states ugh my home in paris i got to get away from all of this rest assured you can also jump to the time and place when humans neanderthals and giant lizards <sighs> Slash soon to be birds were living together oh, wearing on this but crazy loincloths. planet. Nothing but a loincloth, maybe a fig leaf or two. Maybe. Who knows? Uh, you can do that if that uh, if you want to come back to the present and have an adventure right here in this moment. Rest assured, you have the key, the secret to the entrance to the center of the earth. Oh my god, fantastic! Oh, I'm That's very exciting. envious of that. Yeah. I'm a little angry actually. Mm-hmm. Or. Uh, you can jump into the, the, the world of Lord of the Rings, which encompasses like three other worlds. Absolutely. Easy. Yeah. So you 
got a lot to work with yeah. here. Um, and, and a lot of uh, attractive species wandering around <laughs> yeah. and being adorable. Um, you also uh, can have, and by the way, you are going to get very tired having all these adventures. I want you to rest assured you're going to have the best and most coffee you could possibly oh, want need or need. Yeah. Zero ramifications. It's going to be wonderful. Uh, we also have this sort of like time that you stopped uh, being the you that we know for a moment and had uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, stint as a living mermaid. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, that was my midlife crisis. So happy. Yeah. Uh, he was a living mermaid. Hmm? No, I said living mermaid. Yes, From you 41 heard me. to I 44, say, he was a living mermaid. I did not mermaid. say, no, I did say living mermaid. Uh, and uh, that leaves us with your uh, relationships and your friendships, uh, of course, shared with uh, your buddy, Madame Bovary. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Talk about infidelity. Uh, but uh, I just don't see you straying that far when you are coming home to Idris Elba's Elba's oh. uh, Luther. I'm not going to be, no matter how much she talks about how that affair was good for her, I've got a good man at home. Why go out for for, um, ground beef when I've got steak at home? That's right. That's right. Madame Bovary. Well, sure. Go wait for me in the pit of terror. Yeah, you guys are going to have some spats, but it's going to be fine. you got to work it out. Um, the last thing that I do for my Boys of Summer series, because I only interview gentlemen uh, during the summer, it's just how it worked out, uh, and I call it my Boys of Summer series, is that I'm spontaneously putting on you, can you think of or remember any part of Don Henley's song, Boys of Summer? No. Have you, do you think you've ever heard it? It's... The Eagles? Mm, yeah, but it's his solo career. Oh, I remember that. Kind of in the era, possibly, of in a New York minute. But this one is, it's like the chorus is like, I can't see you. Your brown skin shining in the sun. You're just shaking your head at me. You got your hands on hand. Sunglasses on, baby. <laughs> now you're cringing and grimacing <laughs> and shaking grimacing. your head at me. I don't know. What's next? That's... <laughs> The Beatles? Like, what? What are you doing? What is this? Just, this is... It's just a tradition. That I've I know that, that was a big very, song, very right? Ashamed. The Boy of Summer. Yeah, it's just a song that was on all the time for a minute for me when I was growing I up. Can, and MTV was like... I, can, I, I know it was yeah. big. Yeah. That's the Boys of Summer. Yep, great. <laughs> great. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. <laughs> your, your version is actually uh, more interesting. And they're coming for you. <laughs> they're not waiting for the fall. They're going to find the girls of winter. And it's all going to be spring. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's it. When the it. Boys of Summer find the girls that's of it. winter, it's, it's spring all, all the spring. time. Beautiful. Yeah. Scott, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thank you. People can find you. Keep your eyes peeled uh, on Earwolf, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts for Scott Thompson's uh, podcast. We don't have an exact drop date, but we we know he's already been working on them there. It will be soon. Um, Where can they find you if they want to follow or you on Twitter uh, or anything like that? Twitter, Scott Thompson underscore. Great. Scott Thompson underscore. Yeah. At the end? At the end. Yes. Do you have an underscore? Nope. Where's you? Where are you? But a lot of people do the underscore in the middle. Yeah, no. I like that you tag it. I tag. We'll put a button on it. Yeah. Put that underscore button on it. Yeah. Thank you for doing the podcast. Thank you, Jen. This has been wonderful. Uh, Rest of yous, I'll talk to you next time. The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.